Hello everyone and welcome to Surveillance Report 43, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, such as a couple of data breaches that are a little bit different from our usual lot, some privacy updates from Google, some big political news with the JBS ransomware attack and Nigeria's Twitter blockage, a ton of browser stories, and much, much more. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I'm Henry from TechLore. This week's Surveillance Report is brought to you by TechLore's patrons on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can keep this podcast going, as well as all of TechLore's other great projects, like Going Cognito, the regular videos, and in return, you get cool perks like discounts, sneak peeks, and more. This week, as usual, we're going to jump right in with our data breaches. Our first story, police accidentally gave a domestic violence victim's phone data to her attacker. The victim in question, who I personally am not going to name, left her abuser and... As part of the court case, the abuser had the right to request data from the police. The police turned over what they had. Unfortunately, they were not supposed to turn over some of that data, which included phone records, passwords, locations, photos and videos spanning 11 years, diary notes and details that this woman took of the domestic violence. You know, she documented a lot of the abuse. He's been harassing her with that data and that information, and she is understandably very freaked out. For the record, I think that that really was a mistake. The police said it was a mistake. I don't think it was malice. I don't think some cop was being a jerk. I think they're doing a lot. They're very overworked and somebody made a mistake. And I'm not saying that forgives it, but it just shows that not every bad thing that happens in the digital world is malicious. Sometimes people just genuinely make mistakes, but the result is still the same. For our next story, we are going to stay in Australia. So Australia has started this uh, program. They call it the National Redress Scheme. It is to, quote, provide support to people who have experienced institutional child sexual abuse, unquote. In this particular instance, one survivor's account was uploaded to a different survivor's profile. So that meant that the other survivor could see the first survivor's data. And that includes 12 full pages of information like addresses, phone numbers, bank details, Centrelink numbers. Again, somebody made a mistake. And fortunately, in this instance, I think it's safe to assume that the abuser didn't necessarily have access to this data. But still, I certainly wouldn't want some random person having that kind of information about me. I think this week's lesson on the data breaches is it's not always malicious attackers and cyber criminals and ransomware. Sometimes it's just honest mistakes. Thank you, Nathan, for handling all of the data breaches. We're going to head over into companies. A bit of context here before we get into the Apple news. Most browsers are built on an open source counterpart. So Chrome is built on Chromium. Apple's browser, Safari, is built on WebKit. And WebKit is also required to be used by all other browsers. So even if you use Brave or Chrome on iOS, it's still using WebKit. A bug was found in WebKit a few weeks back. That could be used maliciously, so it is an exploit. This requires the attacker to bypass pointer authentication codes, which is possible, but it's difficult, as it means that you need to string together two vulnerabilities. This bug was disclosed and fixed, so the real story here is it hasn't been moved downstream. There's a few lessons here. One, be careful what you do on your phones, as well as your, your desktop as well, because this impacts Safari on desktop. Nothing's perfect or unhackable. And three, get close to the source when you can. So try to go upstream if you're ever able to. So using things like Chromium instead of Chrome might help sometimes. All right, our next story is about iOS 14. Because of Apple's app tracking transparency, which we've been talking about for weeks, it's the iOS 14.5 where it pops up, it asks you, do you wanna let this app track you? Worldwide, people have pretty much almost unanimously said no. Because of that, advertising industries are taking a hit. The global average is about 11% decrease in advertising costs, but some places have seen as much as 36%. Our next story is gonna move over to Google. For those who don't know, you can view all of your Google My Activity information, which just gives you 
essentially all the data that Google has about you, all the searches you do, every time you say, okay, Google, it has all this information. And normally if you're logged into your Google account, you just click my activity and it takes you to all your data. Google has now allowed you the option to require additional authentication before accessing this information in the event someone just opens up your computer and opens your browser and just goes to your Mac activity and looks up your data. If you do have a Google account for whatever reason, I do recommend you go ahead and enable that. Nathan wrote here, it, it does ignore the problem that Google still records the data in the first place, but I think this is more of a security issue nonetheless. On the topic of Google, Google is now going to let Android users opt out of some tracking, similar to how Apple does. This is going to roll out later this year, and it's uh, very similar to the app tracking transparency that we were just talking about a second ago. It allows users to opt out of third-party advertising. The developers will not be able to see a user's unique advertising ID, and the user will not be served personalized ads. Unlike app tracking transparency, users will have to go manually find that setting and opt out. It's not gonna prompt them right away. Similar to Apple, this doesn't actually stop Google from tracking that person's phone and the device and all that stuff. Now we're gonna move over to Amazon. So some context here, Amazon was direct messaging people through their applications saying that they wanted to take video clips for any kind of law enforcement requests from their rings. Now Amazon has transitioned away from this a little bit and they're making these police requests public-ish. Now it's done on a community level. So if you have a neighborhood with people who use rings, you're gonna be able to see all the police requests in your neighborhood, which honestly I think is overall a much better situation. This still has some problems like one, the fact they're doing this in the first place, the fact that rings are, are feeding the surveillance uh, behemoth. There's also the fact that you have to have the applications to view these, which like if, if someone like us who doesn't have Amazon stuff, we're not going to be able to see that. All right, let's talk about TikTok. TikTok has updated their privacy policy this week, and now they state that they will collect biometric identifiers and information such as voice, voice prints and face prints, as well as quote, information about the images and audio that are in users' content, such as identifying the objects and scenery that appear, the existence and location within an image of face and body features and attributes, the nature of the audio and the text of the words spoken in your user content, unquote. All that other stuff like the objects and scenery, body features and attributes, the TikTok explained that that's gonna be used for moderation, advertising, demographic information. They did not specify why they need the biometric stuff or uh, they did mention, uh, you know, subject to certain laws, but they didn't specify which laws it's subject to. Personal opinion, I think they're just putting this on paper. I quite honestly think TikTok has probably been collecting this information for a very, very long time, and now they just formalized it, especially because the article mentions that this comes on the heels of a lawsuit about TikTok collecting biometric data. Also, to be honest, you can view TikToks publicly. Like, even if TikTok didn't collect yeah. this, you should still assume that there's a way for, for governments or other companies to just analyze TikTok videos. The next story, we're going to clear this up right now. Their name is None of Your Business, but their acronym is NOIB. So I'm going to call them NOIB. Noib is aiming to end cookie banner terror, which is when you're on a site and they say, do you want to accept cookies? And they just give you a yes option, but then you have to go through tons of sub menus and settings to actually turn off and say no. They're hoping to address this through an automated tool, which can go to websites and automatically detect whether or not it has a clear yes or no option built in, which is actually what's required by GDPR. A cool stat of the more than 500 pages that they've already issued complaints for, 81% did not offer a reject option on the initial page at all. Users had to dive into submenus, and then the further 73% used deceptive colors and contrasts to lead users to click the accept option. A total of 90% did not provide a way to easily withdraw consent at all. A couple things here. One, they do have a funding goal. 
So you can check out the sources and donate to them if you want to. And two, this is, well, like two more things. One, this is unlikely to directly help people not in the EU because this is GDPR compliance, unless the website's really trying to just centralize how they're doing things between the EU and the US. But third, I think this exposes uh, the shortcomings in privacy regulation. There actually are some regulations happening in California, in the EU, but at the end of the day, it's looking like a majority of websites don't actually implement a lot of this, and there's not really an easy way to hold them accountable. We're still learning how to regulate this stuff in, in a safe and proper way. All right, our next story is just a quick update to Venmo. Last month, we talked about how President Biden has a secret Venmo account and BuzzFeed found it because you can't make your friends list private. Well, Venmo has finally announced that they will make the option to have your friends list private. There'll be three options, actually. It'll be private, friend only, or public. The article that reported this story said that the feature's still kind of buggy, but, you know, it's still in beta, admittedly, so it'll get smoothed out and become more robust. Unfortunately, as always, this is opt-in. It's not private by default, or at least friends only. If you're a Venmo user, make sure you go ahead and check your settings and change that as soon as you can. And then our final company story is a fun little viral Twitter thread from a company called Lemonade. Lemonade is an insurance company, but they kind of pride themselves on being machine learning, AI oriented, I'm sure they're based out of San Francisco. For anyone who like drives to San Francisco, all you see is just billboards. Every possible industry with machine learning AI at the front of it. Sir, New York City. No! <laughs> that was a good guess though. That would have been my first guess too. To get back on track, they tweeted how they collect overall 100 times the amount of data points as most other insurance companies. They collect something like 1600 data points which they were like really proud of. They're like, this is how we're able to tell like what's when something's a legitimate claim and when it's not. And of course, people really freaked out about it. And they're like, this isn't cool. <laughs> no one likes this. And eventually it took down a Twitter thread and they made a response saying, so we deleted this thread, which caused more confusion than anything else. Too long didn't read. We do not use and we're not trying to build AI that uses physical or personal features to deny claims which kind of goes against their whole thread that talks about how they use 1,600 personal data points to figure out whether or not something's a legitimate claim. Just an FYI that insurance companies are beginning to collect more and more information about you, and that's going to continue to happen. All right, let's move into research. We're gonna start off with an update of sorts. So I don't know if this is pronounced quick or Q-U-I-C. I think it's quick. There is this new internet protocol called Quick. And Google proposed it, I believe in like 2013, and it was meant to be a replacement for TCP because you know, the internet is growing and changing and this is supposed to be faster and I'm assuming more safe and stuff like that. As of this week, the Internet Engineering Task Force has officially approved Quick as an acceptable standard to run internet connections and transmissions and pa packets and all that stuff. Basically, the reason this is news is because since they've officially approved it, this indicates that it has reached a level of maturity and it is now ready to be fully embraced on a wide scale. Just to kind of give you some insight onto how much faster this is, in 2017, Google said their test showed that it made search results 4% faster on phones and 8% faster on PCs. YouTube buffering was 15% faster on phones and 18% faster on PCs. Our next story is Facebook has paid for a study that says Apple's iOS 14 privacy changes are bad, okay? <laughs> so, of course, Facebook has paid for a paper, which, 
you know, I'm sure you could already assume where this is going. That researches Apple's iOS 14 pricing and tracking transparency measures. This is obviously a conflict of interest, and it's also written in a very biased way, as you could expect from a kind of study like this. The abstract makes a good point that is worth discussing. Apple's own apps and services need not display the tracking prompt because consumers are automatically opted into Apple's own tracking. There is, I guess, some concerns over the first party tracking committed by Apple, which seems a little bit disregarded from Apple's changes, but there's no denying that the third party implications for end users is just like phenomenal. Like, yes, this does maybe benefit Apple here, but it also like really benefits the users at the end of the day. Our next study, banks are charging companies higher interest rates if they have been affected by a data breach. I'm gonna read a, a couple of lines from the abstract here. Banks charged substantially higher interest rates to companies that had experienced a data breach compared to companies that had not. Several factors could make things worse. If the breach involved data on a lot of people, the effect was exacerbated. The effect was also exacerbated if the breach was a result of criminal hacking rather than a mistake. In addition, banks also require more collateral and more covenants from companies that had experienced breaches. I think that's awesome because quite frankly, not to be political, but the way capitalism works is like money is the most important factor. And until we start hitting companies where it hurts, which is the wallet, they're not going to care. They're just gonna keep doing business as usual. But if this starts costing them actual money, then they're gonna pay attention and they're gonna try to avoid it in the future. All right, and our last research story, iOS user enrollment and trusted certificates. Researchers found that allowing a trusted certificate on your device opens the possibility for intercepted traffic and personal data collection. Certain work devices, especially that you have to like give your phone to IT, you've seen it before, you have to like go into the settings and install a certificate and mark it as trusted and it kind of gives that, that app some elevated privileges on your device. Certificates like that, as it says, they have the possibility to collect additional personal information. This just is kind of a reminder that if at all possible, it's really important not to mix your personal and work devices, especially in these situations where stuff like that is involved. I know it's not always possible, but try your best to get work to give you a device or to ask if you can do some kind of workaround, maybe only use it on the computer, something like that. All right, now we're gonna move over to our politics section and we're gonna start with JBS, which is a meat processing industry. It's food processing, but this mostly impacted their meat. They were affected by a cyber attack, ransomware specifically, which affected their North American and Australian systems. The company took immediate action. They suspended all affected systems, notifying authorities and activating the company's global network of IT professionals. It seems like they are addressing it, but they actually did have to shut down, uh, I believe, the places where the animals are slaughtered for a certain amount of time to take care of this attack. Now, I'm gonna be honest, I personally hate the meat industry. I think it's terrible and I think it has so many issues, but this is beyond that. This is why we always talk about like, yeah, we try not to get political. It might be funny in one situation or good in one situation, but ultimately it is a bad thing that we need to address and deal with because it will eventually impact more important things that you care about too. On that note, in, in a, a sick sort of way, I'm happy that ransomware is starting to hit more and more publicly visible, like the Colonial Pipeline, JBS, like it's starting to trickle into the mainstream and the normal everyday people are starting to feel it. And I think that's really what's gonna push people into action. Our next story, we're gonna talk about law enforcement. There are two new laws in the US that are restricting police use of DNA searches. So Maryland and Montana have become the first states here in the US to pass laws regulating the police use of genealogy sites. This comes out of a couple years ago, they caught the Golden State Killer because they matched his DNA using GED match. At the same time, that does raise a lot of questions about Fourth Amendment rights, search and seizure, and privacy, and stuff like that. Maryland and Montana have finally reacted. 
And under these new laws, police must obtain warrants before they pull that data unless the user has waived their right to privacy. And that has to be done in a very clear and obvious way. You know, it can't be like you're opted in in the settings. It has to be like a banner type thing. In Maryland specifically, they go a step further. They said that uh, these searches can only be used in violent crimes like murder or sexual assault. Our next story, the FBI sought information on who read USA Today news article for a case. There was a case published that talks about the killing of two FBI agents and the FBI asked USA Today to turn over IP addresses of everyone who read that article during a 35 minute window. Fortunately, USA Today is pushing back and asking the court to block the request. This is still unfolding, so we'll see where this goes. My personal takeaway here was like this, I would never expect just reading an article to be something that could be um, in any way incriminating. So A, establish great defaults. I wouldn't have thought about reading a paper online privately, but luckily like I just already have a good browser that handles that stuff. I'm constantly connected to a VPN, so I would have been fine. And the second thing is try to go above and beyond when you can. Now I might start reading news articles in the Tor browser, which is really extra, but. Hey guys, Nate here with a late breaking update on this story. Before we even had a chance to push this story out to our listeners, the FBI has withdrawn that request from USA Today, and we will include this article in the show notes. I'm going to quote the article. The subpoena issued as part of an investigation seeking to identify a child sexual exploitation offender was withdrawn after investigators found the person through other means, according to a notice the Justice Department sent to USA Today's attorneys on Saturday. So there is an update to that story. I just wanted to throw that in there real quick so that it's not outdated by the time it goes public. For our first international story, we're going to talk about a big story that just broke today and is still ongoing. So, of course, we will keep you updated as things go on. Nigeria has blocked Twitter for everyone in the country. The president made a tweet, and I'm going to go ahead and read the full paragraph because it has the tweet and it has the context. The tweet was, many of those misbehaving today are too young to be aware of the destruction and loss of lives that occurred during the Nigerian civil war. Those of us in the field for 30 months who went through the war will treat them in the language they understand. He was referring to a two-year war called the Nigeria-Biafra War, I probably screwed that up, I'm sorry, which killed an estimated one to three million people, mostly from the Igbo tribe, in the eastern part of the country between 1967 and 1970. Twitter deleted it because a lot of readers flagged it and they said, this is against your terms. The government didn't like that, so they banned Twitter countrywide. Nigeria has an estimated population of over 200 million people, and over 39 million people in Nigeria have a Twitter account. So that's about 20% of the population. The good news is, so far, it looks like you can get around this with a VPN. Our next story will go to Germany. So the headline says, Danish Secret Service helped the US spy on Germany's Angela Merkel. The headline kind of says it all, and I think the real takeaway here that, that I think made this interesting to the privacy community is that it kind of illustrates a real world example of how these different intelligence sharing agreements like the Five Eyes and the 14 Eyes and whatnot, it shows how they work. And everybody is constantly spying on everybody and sharing with each other. So it's really important to do your best to keep control of your data because even people that you would think are your allies and your friends might be looking into it. Our next story, Berlin court has ruled that searching phones of asylum seekers is unlawful. This comes as a result because refugees have sued Germany for searching through their cell phones during asylum applications. This happens in the States as well. This isn't just a Germany thing. If you're someone who's going through the border, there have been several stories now of people who have their phones taken from them and they are able to plug it in and somehow get their information. 
Uh, specifically here, it seems like it was used to gather metadata about their recent travels to see where the refugees were going. I'm in a very privileged place to even give advice here, because I know if you're a refugee, the last thing you're thinking about is probably the privacy and security of your phone. But if you can, really the easiest thing to do about this is upload all of your data to the cloud, factory reset your phone before you're traveling. Our next story will go to the UK, where the National Health Service has is going to begin sharing patient data with third parties. The NHS will begin sharing patient data for, quote, research and planning purposes, unquote. This will include mental health, sexual health, criminal records, and abuse data. The database will be shared with, quote, academic and commercial third parties involved in research and planning, unquote. And the government, of course, did not specify who that means. Like, they didn't give, even give any examples. Understandably, people are really upset about that and freaked out. Patients have until June 23rd to fill out a form and take it to their general practitioner in order to opt out. Our next story, Canberra's considered its digital ID for use in verifying age before accessing porn. This is specific to Australia. So the Australian government has said the Digital Transformation a Agency is well-placed to explore extending the digital identity program to online verification to access things like pornography. In other words, they've acknowledged that in its current form, this may not be a good solution, um, but they are in favor of looking into digital solutions. And this is something that we don't necessarily think is going to happen anytime soon, but the fact that it's even being explored has some things that need to be discussed. The, the thing is, the end goal here, I think, is a good end goal. They acknowledge the need to specify minimum requirements for privacy, safety, security, data handling, usability, and auditing of the age verification providers. At the end of the day, this will lead to some kind of data breach. There's also the argument that like this does suppress some kind of freedom here, as even an adult would have to supply their, their ID and information, which can then directly tie their identity with everything they look at on possibly a porn website, which I'm sure many people won't be comfortable with. Personally, I understand that, that por porn is arguably harmful for everybody. I know there's a lot of research backing that up, but I would like to see like how this would even be implemented. Obviously this is Australian specific, but here in the States, um, the age of consent is different for every state. So what would happen there? Would a VPN just completely bypass this? Would a website have to just take the lowest age of consent and apply it worldwide? There's just so many mixed things about this. In my opinion, I think this ultimately comes down to the individual. I think like the family and the parents, they need to establish their own safeguards for their own individual selves that can work for them. But you can disagree with me. To continue on Australian news, Australia is now building a centralized database to track who has gotten the COVID vaccine, standby for a data breach or some kind of misuse of the data like we've seen from most other centralized databases for originally contact tracing and now recently for COVID vaccines. And we're going to end our politics section on a little piece of good news. Brazil has approved stricter legislation to tackle online crime. There's not much to it. I mean, if you want, you can read the article and it really breaks down all the what they've changed and what's the new settings are. But basically, Brazil is cracking down on cybercrime, which again, like I said earlier about banks and the financial stuff, you got to make it hurt. Sometimes that's at least part of a good strategy to tackle change. If we're cracking down on cybercrime, we're making it less worthwhile for them. Let's move into free and open source software. We're gonna start off talking about Firefox. Firefox has released version 89 this week and they've added a couple of changes. First off, they have blocked cross-site cookie tracking by default in private browsing. I misread this in case anyone else did initially. I thought what they meant was like, they're rolling this feature out and they're starting with private browsing. That's not what it was. They rolled it out in Firefox 86. If you use it, it's in their settings, it's called enhanced tracking protection. And if you set it to strict mode, you were protected from cross-site cookie tracking. 
private browsing used a different set of protections and therefore did not include the cross-site cookie tracking. They've fixed that and now it does. And our next story is probably the bigger one. Firefox 89 has gotten a facelift. They're calling it the Proton interface. Honestly, it just looks a lot like Chrome. Like, I'll be honest, I, I think if I hadn't read these articles, I probably wouldn't have even noticed it, at least not for a few weeks, maybe. I don't think it looks too bad, but apparently some people have very strong opinions on it and they didn't like it, but uh, you know, it's personal preference. The last FOSS news, honestly, I didn't know where to put this. It's not really FOSS, but it, it's kind of FOSS, but um, I wanted to talk about this anyway, because it's actually really cool. Apple, Mozilla, Google, and Microsoft have formed a group to standardize browser plugins. So previously this was all done individually. The way you build a Firefox extension is completely different from how you build a Chrome extension. But luckily Apple introduced Safari's web extension API with Big Sur, which enabled extensions built for other browsers to work with it, which has now opened the door to new extensions and a standardized method for developing extensions. So all these companies are coming together and their two goals are to make extension creation easier for developers and also to outline an architecture that enhances performance and is more secure and resistant to abuse. Now, if you're concerned about centralization, every browser can still have its own policies and its own stores. This is just mostly about the development, but hopefully it means you should get more secure extensions that might be more cross-platform so you can use the same extensions between different browsers. All right, and last but not least, let's roll into our misfits section. Our first one, an autonomous drone attra attacked soldiers in Libya all on its own. So there was a drone from Turkey that back in March of 2020 in Libya attacked the Haftar Armed Forces, and it did this without any input or approval from the operator. And it was designed to do that for the record. It was designed to do this, to just set and forget and let it go and do its thing. And it's officially made its first kill, I guess. In 2018, the UN actually attempted to outlaw autonomous weapons like this. But of course, the US and Russia were both like, nah, bro, we, we want it. And our last story is about the use of facial recognition technology in South Australia in gambling. It says here that over 80% of gambling locations in South Australia, which that's not just casino, casinos, that includes anywhere where you can gamble. So like pubs and clubs, they're using facial recognition to try and weed out band players. I just wanted to share that story because it shows, again, facial recognition. It's getting really cheap. It's getting really ubiquitous. It's just everywhere nowadays. And that was all of our news for this week. We want to thank you so much for listening to Surveillance Report. We are happy to know that you're trying to stay safe out there. We want to remind you again that this podcast is brought to you by our wonderful community of patrons that support us, particularly those on Patreon, where again, you can get all kinds of perks, early access, discounts, all kinds of cool stuff. The final thing that we want to ask of you guys, share this podcast around, make sure you're subscribed. And uh, if you're listening on a platform where you can rate, like Apple iTunes, go ahead and give us a rating. It helps other people find us. And we're really trying to spread the message of privacy and make sure people know about this kind of stuff. And you can help us do that. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.